please exhale. And now let's begin. Welcome to the Science of Light. I'm your host, Rosemary. If you're interested in exploring holistic wellness topics through a perspective that blends spirituality with science, I think you've found the right place. And I'm so grateful that you're here. Let's figure out this life thing together. Always keep your feet on the ground, your head in the stars, and stay in the light. Hey, welcome to another episode. I'm feeling a little proud of myself for trying to get consistent with these episodes again. And a couple weeks ago, for the first time in a while, I missed an episode because we got married. My partner and I had our wedding and it was super fun. And that's my excuse. But we're back. And I want to start with an announcement because I have a tendency to rush through these things when I say them at the end. So first of all, I have started sending out new moon and full moon reports to my email list. You can also find them in blog form on my website, but I super recommend signing up for my email list because for one thing, I'm not going to spam you. Like that shit pisses me off to no end when other people do it. So I promise I'm not going to do it to you, but it's going to soon to keep myself from being too scattered, be the best way to find out things that I'm doing, things that I'm up to. And also I've started these new moon and full moon reports and to incentivize people to go ahead and sign themselves up. Um, I actually, fun fact, some of you have already signed up and I have not even sent out a single email so far. So if that tells you anything, I'm not just going to blast your inbox, um, but you might get some important information that way. So soon to incentivize you to join my email list, um, the full moon report that goes out this Friday or July 23rd, what I think that's Friday. Um, <laughs> so the full moon report will go out for the full moon on the 23rd. And I'm working on that now and I'm excited to send it out. And I will have, you can just find it on my blog, on my website, yogiscopes.com. But you can also, you know, I'll probably make a social media post if you're connected with me there. But if you're not connected with me anywhere other than this podcast, you got to be on my email list because um, that's how you'll find my stuff. And also be the first to know about things I'm planning. And with that said, a thing that I'm planning is a full moon mini retreat for the full moon that happens in September. So that's about two months away still. Um, It's actually two months from today, September 20th. I'm planning a day-long mini retreat. It will be 25 minutes outside of Asheville. So if you are local to the area or can plan a trip to the Asheville area, um, you'll find actually, so I've made a Facebook event for people to kind of save the date. You can find that through my Facebook page, Yogi Scopes, but you can also, if you sign up for my email list, I'm pretty sure this isn't set in stone yet, but I'm, the email list is definitely going to be the first to find out how to buy tickets. Um, and the event might sell out. So you might want to be on that list and because it's going to have super limited space, it'll be outdoors, Um, we'll have some yoga, we'll have some astrology stuff, we'll have some tips for living seasonally because I actually intentionally plan this for the full moon that happens in the same week as the fall equinox. So it'll be yoga, Ayurveda, um, astrology, all the things and an awesome community of folks that we're creating. And so be on the lookout for also, I'll start offering, um, new moon circles, I think on the next new moon. If not, then definitely by the new moon in September. See, we're going through a lot of big life changes right now. We're probably moving. 
soon and stuff. So I'm trying to get all this stuff going for you all, but I'm also trying to pace myself and not overextend myself, which actually leads me into today's podcast topic, kind of, which is, so last week we talked about um, shiny object syndrome and the eight limbs of yoga. And in that, I kind of briefly mentioned the kleshas or what are sometimes called the blocks to yoga. Um, and somebody actually reached out and I was harping on last episode about how helpful it is when y'all reach out to me with feedback through any of the platforms that I always mention in the show notes and at the ends of the episodes about how you can get in touch with me. Um, I love to hear from y'all and somebody actually reached out and said that they wanted to hear about the clashes. So I'm going to kind of introduce those today, but we're only going to talk about one of them primarily because it's definitely too much to talk about all of them. In one episode, it would feel scattered. So we're going to talk about the first one, but I'm also going to give a brief introduction to what they all are, kind of the same way I did last time with the eight limbs of yoga, but we were only focusing on one. So the kleshas are, there's five of them, and they're outlined in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, which I also mentioned last time, but it's kind of um, one of yoga's sacred texts, if you will. Um, I don't want to call it like a Bible, but... I grew up in the South. It's like the Bible for yoga, kind of. It's a, that's a very poor um, comparison, but you get it. It's a sacred text, and that's where we get a lot of the wisdom and especially the philosophy that we may teach about in a yoga class or something is from the Yoga Sutras, the Bhagavad Gita, um, the Upanishads. These are all different classic texts related to yoga, and the Yoga Sutras are kind of the ones that definitely modern yogis use a lot. And so anyway, you can find the kleshas in there. They're in the second like chapter. I guess there's four padas or chapters to the sutras. And um, I guess beginning, or at least this one, I have written down one to go over today regarding the first one that we're talking about in more depth. And that one's 2.5 or, you know, second chapter, fifth verse or whatever. You know how sacred texts are often organized in that way. So you can find infos, info about the kleshas in the Yoga Sutras, but you can also find a wealth of information about them on the internet. But so there are five of them. The first one, and again, in yoga philosophy, often things that are organized in list format are often seen to build on each other or definitely um, the first one has some kind of higher regard or higher importance. Anyway, so the first one is a vidya, which means it actually translates to basically like not knowing or kind of like wrong knowing because vidya is like awareness or wisdom. And ah, when you add ah on the beginning of a Sanskrit word, it means not. So the same thing with the, when I was talking about the eight limbs of yoga and one of the yamas is ahimsa, it means nonviolence. So there you go. You know, I'm a nerd for a bunch of different stuff, root words being one of them. So anyway, first one is avidya, often translated to ignorance, but we'll get more into what it means momentarily because that's the one we're focusing on today. And again, that is an oversimplification of a translation. Like I talked about last time also that a lot of times Sanskrit words don't translate perfectly into English. There's not usually a word-for-word translation. Usually it's much more subtle than that and requires a lot more words in English for 
the Sanskrit words. So that's why it's also, if you want to study yoga, it's good to learn these Sanskrit words because then you can learn the kind of subtleties and connotations that go along with them that are more impactful than just saying ignorance, for example, in this case. But anyway, so the next four kleshas, the second one is asmita. So that one is over-identifying with the ego, having this sort of I amness, And so that's what I, I want to actually be careful not to confuse what I'm saying today with that one because it is a separate thing. And we'll get more into that. Um, and then the last three are raga, desire or attachment to pleasure, devesha, which is avoidance. So I don't know about y'all, but I can sometimes get um, caught up in either one of those things or overcorrect and swing too far the other way. Like if you're getting way too attached to a certain outcome or a certain desire. And kind of like I talked about in the manifesting episode I did a few weeks ago, um, you got to kind of lose your attachments to exactly how that desire will play out. It's okay to want more things for yourself in life, but to have a specific desire for um, very specific, especially material things or, um, or pleasure, like this says, like, just over attachment to things that are pleasurable that can also apply to toxic positivity. Right. Um, so I know there it's pretty easy to get caught up in raga, right? Desire attachment to pleasurable things. And then the other end of that is devasha or avoidance. Um, so that could mean that could look like avoiding things that might be hard, avoiding your emotions. Um, yeah, a lot of things that could look like. And then the last one is a Vesha, which is that one's sometimes translated as fear. It's also sometimes translated as like fear of dying. And so I'm again, I'm not going to go too in depth with all of them, but it's good to kind of have an idea about what they are. Um, so then also we can get more specific into a vidya and say, well, this isn't so much a vidya. It could fall under more of one of the other ones, like over-identifying with ego. So this is just the tip of the iceberg, big overview snapshot so that you can kind of have an idea of what those things are. And basically, so Klesha translates, um, some say to poison or affliction. Um, but I think another good way to look at it is... Um, just blocks to the practice of yoga, blocks to being um, in touch with our true selves, right? Blocks from samadhi, like I talked about in the last episode, like that enlightenment, that liberation from, really, what is it liberation from? It's from these things, right? From um, desire or avoidance or um, feeling too caught up in ourselves or you know, whatever the case is. So I, the reason I want to talk about Avidya specifically is because I was already kind of planning an episode for this week. And I think this one fits along nicely with it. Um, I wanted to talk about how stories are sacred. And they're sacred to lots of cultures outside of our, you know, American culture, especially indigenous cultures, especially, you know, Native Americans or people, you know, like just the, 
this is one of the ancient ways of knowing I'm talking about, and including yoga philosophy, a lot of it um, was transmitted through stories. And just like, I mean, you know, like I talk about, I grew up in the South and the Bible Belt and stuff, and the Bible is literally a book full of stories, right? So in pretty much every culture, stories are sacred, um, which is which is a good thing, right? That's So that's one point that I want to get at is that like if we could actually get a little bit more in touch with our human um, desire to storytell and our human desire to relate to the world through stories, that it might actually be super illuminating for us in our culture. Um, because actually, so where that's coming from is one time I listened to a talk from a... Native American who was from a tribe, the Anishinaabe tribe from Canada, and he was raised, you know, among this tribe, and then he became, he moved to, like, New York, I think, somewhere. Um, I listened to this talk at the university when I was in college, and um, he was talking, he became a holistic health practitioner, a holistic doctor, and that's just the thing that he said in the talk was stories are sacred, and that wasn't even, like, the whole point of his talk, but it was the thing that stuck with me. And he was talking about, um, I guess because I like also aspire to be a holistic health practitioner, you know, like a yoga therapist, a healer. Um, and this part really resonated with me that stories are sacred. And that's actually one of the healing modalities that he uses is he takes, you know, an hour to an hour and a half with each of his clients. And that's the beautiful thing that when you're not um, under that whole insurance model, you're not having to cram in as many clients as you can in a day. Um, and you can kind of have the freedom to create your own schedule to spend more time with the people that come see you for healing. So then he's able to ask these people about their story, about their life story, about their story around whatever the ailment they're coming to visit him is, about their story that they're in now. Um, and that is a powerful agent for change if he can help them change their story around whatever it is they're experiencing. Um, and so that was something I gleaned from that talk. And I was like, wow, that's like super powerful. And I think we've really gotten away from that in our healing model. And um, when I had a child, I went under the midwifery model of care rather than the traditional like OB medical model. And I found that to be true too, just the fact of having that connection with my healthcare practitioner. Anyway, so that's one example of why stories are sacred. And then another is, I don't know if you've ever heard Brene Brown say, if you've been around here a while, y'all might know that I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown. And she says sometimes, say like her and her husband get in a fight or something, and she'll say, um, the story I'm telling myself right now. And that can be very illuminating to why you might be having a certain emotion. Like let's say you get angry at your partner and it's like, why are you really angry? What is, you know, are you angry because of something they did? Or are you angry about the story that you're telling yourself about something they did, for example? Um, and if that's not very clear, let me try to say a more concrete example. Like, um, if your partner does something and they're just like living their life and they do something and it's kind of benign, but let's say that thing, let's say they like, you know, forget to call you or something and it's like they were just busy, but in your head you're like, 
well, the story I'm telling myself about that, I'm mad because you didn't call me because it made me feel like you were too busy for me or made me feel abandoned. And when you can get to down to that, what is the story you're telling yourself about something, not just about fighting with your partner. This could be anything. Like why are you feeling any sort of emotion? It could be because you're telling yourself a story about that thing and you're attached to that story, right? Um, so that could get into the attachment as well too. But the reason I wanted to talk about that related to Avidya is because I think we can sometimes get very caught up in our own perceptions, our own ways of existing, our own um, view of the world. And for what it's worth, like, I mean, we all do it, right? We all get in our own little bubbles and that's fine, but sometimes it can be a block. And that's what I'm talking about. Um, That's avidya, that's ignorance. So the ignorance... I'm referring to is like ignorance to a different perspective than your own, a different way of viewing the world than your own. And this is something that's like so easy to get caught up into. So um, I'll just read you the Yoga Sutra that I'm referring to that kind of defines avidya. It said, avidya is to mistake the impermanent for the eternal, the impure for the pure, sorrow for happiness and the not-self for the true self. And so that last part, to me, also kind of almost gets into the next one, Asmita. So um, maybe we won't go super in-depth with that part, but so if y'all aren't familiar yet, there's this concept in yoga philosophy of kind of like the capital S self versus the little s self. And the little s self is the ego. And when we say ego in this kind of yoga philosophy, we're not really talking about Freud's like, psychology ego, like arrogance ego. That's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about um, just your identity as a person, right? That could be your roles in life. Like for me, I'm a mother, I'm a yoga teacher, I'm a wife, I'm, you know, um, a hiking guide. I do all these things. I'm a sister, I'm a daughter, whatever. You know, I have all these roles, labels in life. And One of them I super duper identify with is the role of a yoga teacher or as a yoga practitioner, right? So that is something I'm pretty attached to related to my identity. So it's almost a little bit more like identity, right? And these things are all very important. The goal is not to like get rid of them. The goal is to just not overly attach with them and to find the the places and feelings within ourself that is that capital S self. And when we say capital S self, we mean your connection with the divine, your things that are always there, um, even without, even if you were to say lose one of those roles, right? It's a very hard thing. And I'm not trying to downplay the grief that would come with that because that would be a normal response and you'd have to go through the whole grieving process if you lost one of your cherished roles in life. Um But I am saying that we will have an easier time if we are able to connect more with that true self, that connection with the divine. Um, Actually, this just reminded me that uh, Anishinaabe speaker that I listened to said that was your essence. And he had this like natural gift for just looking at people. He did it for everyone in the room. And I mean, there was only like... 
15, 20 people in the room. So it was actually this really intimate experience. But um, he would look at people and be able to say something about their essence. And that's what he called it was the essence. But um, so that's what I'm saying is there's these things in almost every culture. And some cultures, I think, are just more in tune with it than others. Um, But that capital S self is the connection with the divine, your true self, um, the parts of you that will still be there despite like if your roles change. And so it's like some of these things could be seen as personality traits perhaps. Um, But also I think that's a little bit what we're getting at when we study astrology is um, like who are you deep down, not just at your surface, at your roles, right? Um, And so the idea is through yoga practice, we start to cultivate more awareness, more vidya to combat these things. And that's why I'm kind of saying that that avidya being the first one will help with the other ones cultivating this or sorry, not cultivating a vidya. That's the opposite. These are things that you want to kind of work through so that you can come closer on your path to enlightenment or just living an easier life. You know, maybe the goal isn't ever to become enlightened because I do think there's some notion of like to be enlightened in its truest sense. You have to be like a spiritual ascetic or like a monk or something, you know, monastic is the word you have to like remove yourself from society and that's probably not a realistic goal for most of us like most of us are probably going to continue living with our families and our jobs and whatever so I think the idea is to reach some kind of ease in life right to to abolish these kleshas these afflictions so that we can experience a more easeful and comfortable life. And I don't just mean financially comfortable because I think that's what a lot of times, at least for me on a one-off, when somebody says comfortable, I think like financially comfortable. I'm like, so we don't have to worry about bills anymore. That seems comfortable, right? Um, But I also mean comfortable, not just financially or materially comfortable. I mean comfortable in your own head, which is a freaking task, right? I mean, this for me sometimes um, so avidya can be sometimes related to, I've seen it translated just as like spiritual note, as like uncovering ignorance that you have related to spiritual texts or, you know, the spiritual path. And that could be fine, but I really want to focus on this yoga sutra. That's why I read it. Um, mistaking the impermanent for the eternal, right? That's another example of um, kind of our, the impermanent is like our life identities, situations we find ourselves in in life. And the eternal is like our spiritual practice, our capital S self, right? So knowing that avidya, this confusion of what's real and what's not real, what um, kind of, it can also be like getting your priorities out of whack, Right. Um, this sense that this, so it could be spiritual ignorance, ignorance to the spiritual path. Certainly that would cause avidya, I think, but we also want to look at it as kind of a misperception, right? So that's where I'm getting at with the stories piece because our perception is our reality. And sometimes our perception can be skewed by the story we're telling ourselves, 
the story that we've been told our whole life. So it could be some kind of limiting belief from childhood, like some kind of, like my mom always says, kids will rise or fall to the expectations you put on them. And so I think that's like, if you grew up with parents that had like high expectations for you, or at least had high beliefs in your ability, that's going to affect your own beliefs in yourself. Whereas if you had grew up with parents or teachers or, you know, just people in your life telling you that you'd never amount to anything or um, that certain things just weren't for you, whether that be because of maybe your family's financial position in life or your family's skin color or any number of things. If you grew up with some kind of belief ingrained in you that certain things weren't for you in this life, um, and truly, certainly, maybe those things might be harder I actually kind of talked about this on a previous episode, but these things, the stories we get told as as children um, certainly affects our beliefs about ourselves and our life. But then as adults, we kind of get this opportunity. Are we going to take that and run with it or are we going to create our own reality, which I so hesitate to get into this like I don't want to paint it to be easier than it is because I, this is not easy. This So this Kalatia is seen as the trunk of the tree of suffering. That's why it's first on the list of Vidya. Um, it's the hardest one to overcome. It's the thing that all the other ones spring out of. And that is the path, right? Like We're all going to be dealing with this changing the story we're telling ourselves, changing our perception to be one that more serves us. I mean, this is the path. Like I'm not trying to paint this as something that – is just easy or should come naturally. Like you can just boom, change your story that you've believed your whole life. Just like that. It's not easy at all, but I do think it's possible is what I'm trying to say. And I also think that it's a worthwhile pursuit because the idea, at least from the ancient texts is that if you can overcome these clashes, if you can kind of rid yourself of these poisons or afflictions, that are blocks on reaching enlightenment, then maybe you can reach samadhi. And like I described again last time, I just think it's important to say that I don't think samadhi is like, like none of us, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably not a monk. If you are a monk, please reach out to me because that'd be so cool um, <laughs> to know that a monk was listening to my podcast. But I just don't think that's, um, monks aren't my target audience is what I'm saying. So most of us probably have households, we have lives, we have jobs, we have families, we have kids, we have whatever um, things that could also be seen as blocks to enlightenment sometimes when we get caught up in the daily trappings of our world, right? Um, but we do want to kind of aim for that ease, like I was talking about that, um, it's sometimes called equanimity. And I kind of hate using that word because I don't have a good, like I usually sometimes say, like I don't have an embodied understanding. I don't have a working knowledge of what equanimity really means. But we'll just say contentment, right? Um, a sense of ease in our own bodies, in our own brains, right? And that's what um, we can find, at least maybe fleetingly, if we can practice this overcoming the clashes. And so I would argue you know, based on these texts and based on my interpretation of them is that avidya being the trunk of the suffering tree, you know, the one from which the very, you know, big, strong trunk from which all the other ones branch off of and from which they spring and get their nutrients to live on 
is this kind of ignorance, this kind of wrong knowing, this kind of lack of wisdom, um, which in my opinion, in my interpretation of this is colored by um, our own stories, our own perception, our own things that we're telling ourselves about what is true, about the nature of reality. And that could come from um, our childhood, come the way we were raised. It could come from our life experiences, from traumas. It could come from a lot of things. And that's kind of what I'm here to um, do, I guess, you know, with this podcast and everything. Like I say, often that, you know, my research is centered around yoga for trauma and, um, from all of that research sprung this desire to learn how to be more resilient for myself. And then I'm not saying I'm like a perfect case, you know, uh, the best yoga teacher is still a yoga student themselves in my opinion and the opinions of several others, but Right. So like I'm on this path to uncover what it means to be resilient and I'm just here to try to share what I find with you all. And I think cultivating a sense of right knowing, a sense of awareness around reality is huge. It's a really worthwhile pursuit. So I want to give some really concrete examples to tie this all back in together about what I think a video, how a video could show up, right? Um, so let's just use the examples from the sutras. So mistaking the impermanent for the inter- eternal would be like mistaking. Um, so let's say you get some really awesome job, but then um, this is actually like Buddhist philosophy, like the notion that this too shall pass. Like literally everything in life will pass, including your life itself, but also. So that includes any joy you might get from getting an awesome job or um, any hard feeling, you know, good things and bad things pass. But what is eternal is, you know, our connection with the divine. And I don't want to get too much into that in this episode right now. I'm not here to define what is your connection with the divine. Um, Maybe I will kind of do an episode about that, but we're not going to go down that rabbit hole right now. I'm just going to trust that if you're listening to this show, you're at least spiritually curious, right? Open to the idea, might have some kind of ideas about what is eternal for you. The impure for the pure, the next thing, way, a next thing you could um, mistake. And so that's a tough one. I honestly, like I see that with, like I think food is a really good example with that one. It's easy to think that something is healthy just because it's labeled as organic, but then... Um, I don't know, run with that as you will, or like, like I see things labeled as organic and I'm like, like mac and cheese, like they have organic pasta or something. I don't know. And I'm like, some things seem like a leap for me or like I saw some candy that said gluten-free on it. And I'm like, okay, that's just like a buzzword at this point. Why in the world? Would candy have gluten in it? That doesn't even make sense, right? So it's like there's all these things in the world to like make us think that something is like healthier. I don't know with food um, when it's not. All right, so that's just one pretty easy example of that. But then it's also to get there with spiritual beliefs. It's easy to think that any of us um, 
are pure on our spiritual path, which would make other people on their different spiritual path less pure because we can't understand things from their perspective. You know, that comes totally example of the avidya. Like we're seeing things from our way and we think that our way is the pure way. So then anything else, anybody else not on that way might be impure. Anyway, you get the idea. Um, That makes us ourselves impure, right? For like judging others. That's a huge example of a video. If you find yourself judging people, it's like, whoa, I am like caught up in my own perception of this situation. Everybody has a story. Oh my gosh, I found myself in that situation this morning. I was like, just grumpy, you know, (laughs) like, and just judging people. And I was just grumpy. And I was like, I had to step back and be like, why am I, first of all, disaffected by the behavior of like total strangers? You know what I mean? Um, And then so, and then mistaking sorrow for happiness. That's another one talking about the kind of like attachment to pleasure thing. It's like maybe sometimes we do things that bring us instant gratification, but maybe somewhere deep down we know those things aren't contributing to our kind of true contentment. Um, These might be like guilty pleasure type things. Um, but I don't, I don't want to just say that because sometimes guilty pleasure type things are, they feel guilty because it's like our society tells us we shouldn't enjoy those things, but they really bring us some kind of lightment or comfort, lightment, um, like lightness or comfort or ease in our life. So I hate, I hesitate to just say blanket statement, like guilty pleasures, but maybe it's like if social media is your guilty pleasure and you know that when you get sucked down the scrolling thing that you're actually like it makes you feel like crap about yourself whether that be because of what you see when you scroll or the time you end up wasting because you didn't mean to spend that long doing it or whatever the case is um but you know the reason you started doing it was because you thought it was gonna like help you unwind but deep down you know it doesn't actually do that um I think that's how I interpret the mistaking sorrow for happiness. And then we talked about the not self for the true self, right? So like all these identities we have in our life are not the self, but that doesn't mean they're not worth having. That's not what I'm saying. Unless you like are going to become a monk or you already are a monk. And if you are a monk, I, I do want to hear from you. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. So being dogmatic about things like spiritual beliefs or food, um, another one would be feeling the emotion versus becoming the emotion. So um, I talk about this a lot, kind of like emotional awareness and how important it is, but then also meditation as a tool to like kind of separate yourself from your emotions so that you don't unpack and live there. You don't get stuck in that suffering or whatever. Um, So what are some ways to cultivate to cultivate, I guess I would say cultivate vidya, cultivate this wisdom or right knowing or awareness. Dude, it's yoga practice and meditation. I don't know how many times I have to say this. I'm just kidding. On the podcast though, but I feel like sometimes I'm like, um, I might, should I come up with like a more, um, specific example? I don't know because I actually myself spent years wondering, what was the freaking magic behind yoga and meditation? Why can I just go to a little yoga class down at the gym? I've always been a gym yogi. I don't know. Um, over a studio yogi, it's just more accessible for me personally. And I like that it's more accessible for most people. Anyway, um, 
that I can just go to my little yoga class and feel so much better after. Why is it so healing? Why does it have all these impacts on my life? And I think what I'm doing here with this podcast, I hope, is when I take a different angle each time and I'm like, the answer is always yoga and meditation or maybe say getting astrology reading or starting to study astrology to understand the cycles of life and how you fit within those uh, a little better. That's how we cultivate vidya, wisdom. That's how we cultivate um, a more true perception of reality. And that can get a little trippy too, talking about reality and like what is real, what is not real, right? Um, But I think the idea is to not just get caught up in our story, to be able to step outside of our story and see it from somebody else's perspective, to be able to see how our the story we're telling ourselves is influencing the way we interact with the world or whatever the case may be. So with all that said, I do normally like to leave you with a more concrete, specific practice, but today I'm going to cop out and not do that because I actually need to get working on this full moon report that's about to go out. And I think... Um, It actually worked out perfectly that this was my topic for the week. And for the full moon, we're going to be talking about releasing because you do that on a full moon. Um, But so I'll have some sign by sign. You can find a chart calculator on my website, yogiscopes.com slash chart dash calculator. Or you can just go to my website, yogiscopes.com and and click under astrology and then you'll see the chart calculator. Um, And then you'll also see the astrology blog where you can see the latest new moon report, and then the full moon report when it goes out. And this time, I'll include the sign-by-sign horoscopes on the regular blog post. But next time, you're going to have to get my email list because I will put out the regular blog post of just the general interpretation, but the sign-by-signs are only going to go to my email subscribers. And then also you might get, you will be the first to hear about tickets when I release them. But So right now, save the date for the September 20th full moon fall equinox mini retreat um it's a monday but that's the day of the full moon and mondays work better for me because that's when i have childcare. Uh, but so you'll get save the date for that if you can be in asheville or if you already are in asheville i would love to see you there but also my email list subscribers are going to be the first to hear about tickets and they may get a little discount maybe but definitely will be the first to buy a ticket to make sure you get it before it sells out because it might because I'm going to have very limited capacity. So anyway, sign up for the email list. Find me on Instagram or Facebook or email me. You can find all those things, yogiscopes.com, yogiscopes on Facebook or Instagram. Please get in touch with me. I love hearing from you all. And be on the lookout for this full moon report. And I will make sure that the sign-by-sign things have to do with how to release maybe limiting beliefs or whatever the case, you know, it's going to be based off the astrology and full moons are time for releasing. So maybe you can release something that holds you back from right knowing, from true awareness, right? Anyway, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for being here. Remember to always keep your feet on the ground, your head in the stars and stay in the light. Thank you. Thank you.